0: This is Artist Soapbox. Through interviews and original scripted audio fiction, we deliver stories that speak to your hearts and your minds.
1: Hey, Soapboxers, it's Juliana. Today I'm bringing you a conversation with singer-songwriter, story coach, copywriter, author, speaker... That guy who writes on his car, Brian Perry. Brian Perry and I have known each other for about a decade now, which feels a little surreal to say because it does feel a little bit like yesterday. He's an amazing person and so wise and so positive. Every time I talk to Brian, I feel better for having done so, and I hope you will feel the same way for having listened to him. You can find him online at yesbrianperry.com. That's on all the platforms, at YesBrianPerry. And I hope you will get a lot out of this episode. I certainly did just by having a conversation with him. So, enjoy. Brian Perry, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here.
2: I'm so grateful to be here. Before we even get started, I want to tell you something funny. Like a year or so, maybe, back, I stumbled upon like autoplay on my podcast app. It played something from Artist Soapbox. Oh, wow. And and at that time wouldn't allow me to see my listening history. This was I listened to through Apple Podcast. And I couldn't find it. I was like, that was really cool. I want to know more. And I could never find it. And then you well, you reached out about this. And I looked it up. I went, This is what I've been looking for. So
1: <laughs> found us. The universe's algorithm worked in your favor. Indeed. Yeah, Artist Soapbox has been a lot of fun. I've done a few audio drama things with them and a couple interviews myself back in the day. And and now we're moving in this fun new direction where we get to have a whole team of podcast hosts talking about stuff that we care about.
2: I love um, it. I love it. The diverse projects and such you're involved with, my friend.
1: And Great. so you and I have known each other for a long time. And we've had these conversations about the creative process just personally on the phone a bunch of times. And so I'm excited to be able to have one of those Brian and Juliana conversations, you know, in a place where other people will get to hear it. Me too. Uh, And I know you primarily from being a songwriter, since we're both songwriters, but you've also got a lot of other stuff going on. You've been a coach, you've been a public speaker, motivational speaker, you're an author. What do you have going on right now? What's happening in your world? You
2: know, what's happening right now is really an integration of all that. I think for too long, I've kind of seen my artistic creative hats siloed them out from the rest of my world, you know? I have my, my day job stuff and my night job stuff. In the last, really over the course of the pandemic, I've been recognizing the through line of what I do, which for me really revolves around story and calling people more deeply into living and experiencing the story they want to live in their lives. So what I'm really engaged in right now is integrating all the things that I do, because the way that all plays out functionally is I I do that as a singer-songwriter. I do that as a story coach, as a copywriter, as an author, as a speaker. And so, yeah, so I'm kind of liberating myself to live a more cohesive creative life and what that looks like right now pragmatically is i'm in the midst of rebranding and relaunching my reintroducing myself to the world digitally
1: i love the idea of reintroducing yourself to the world when you're doing something new that's really cool i like that
2: yeah it's it feels it feels good it feels like a fresh start it feels like i mean i think we're all coming out of the, coming to whatever this new phase of the pandemic is and looking in our closets and going, oh, I don't like any of these clothes anymore. And I sort of feel that metaphorically in my own broader life as I step out in the world. I'm like, yeah, no, 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 this, no, this fits me. I need to put on different digital clothes <laughs> and reintroduce yeah. myself. So, yeah,
1: totally. <laughs> well, let's get into it. I mm-hmm. use this podcast to talk about writer's block um, Brilliant. and creative blocks. Has that happened for you sometime in the recent past? What was that like for you?
2: Oh, so absolutely it's happened. In the way it tends to happen, is it tends to surprise me. I'll just suddenly start to feel really heavy, and I'll and and in that I'll be like, I get restless and heavy, and just kind of don't feel good in my own skin. And I'll notice, wow, I haven't written anything in a long time, and that so rapidly turns into a story about how I'm never going to write again. I mean, it just spirals. I think where creatives run into trouble, particularly. Songwriters or, or storytellers, people that self-identify as storytellers in whatever medium, is that we're good at telling stories. <laughs> and and so the moment that I go, oh my gosh, I haven't written a song in whatever the date I'm imposing on myself, I don't just leave it there and kind of observe that, you know, objectively, immediately assign meaning and story to it, and that's that's a it doesn't serve me. It tends to it t- tends to, to entrench me in the notion rather than showing me a way through it. I used to say, when I was coming out of uh, my divorce, I, I used to say, I'm clear about three things. I don't know the plan. I don't know what shit means. And I get myself in trouble when I pretend to either one. <laughs> and I feel that to be really true with my creativity. There tends to be a bit of an Occam's razor moment in my own head around the stories I tell when I hit a writer's block moment. Where, you know, what's, if I weigh these two theories, one, that I'm never going to write again, because I haven't written in six weeks or two months or six months. Or two, I've been writing for, you know, whatever, 25 years or so. And I have a a long history of being a writer. And sometimes that means not writing. Which of those stories is true? (laughs) You know, the the simpler one, which is, hey, I've been writing a long time. This happens sometimes is the more true. But it doesn't feel that way. And it doesn't feel that way because it's when I feel most like me. When, when you're I, writing. Yeah. yeah. that's. I think that's really the bottom line, is that is that it's it's not that I'm afraid that I'm never going to write. It's I'm afraid I'm never going to feel like me. I'm never going to understand why I'm on this planet again.
1: Gosh, I think that's so true because we so much of our identities gets wrapped up in our art. Yes, and that's you know pretty unusual for there are certainly other other jobs, other professions that have that, but I think artists, especially we put so much of ourselves into the work that it's very hard to feel like if you're not doing the work, you're losing yourself.
2: yes, exactly. Yeah, there's so many ways that happens on your artistic journey. certainly, professionally, you feel like you start to lose yourself if you're not achieving certain goals and certain thresholds. I, I went through this a while back, as you know, well, I still going through it in many ways. Because I ran into some health challenges around my voice that prevented me from performing in the way that I wanted to. And, and in many ways, writing in the way I wanted to. I couldn't count on my instrument. And yeah, it felt writer's block for me comes on issues like that, come on like identity theft. I mean, it's, it's, and I'm, that's not to be dramatic. It feels like identity theft uh, because it doesn't, it, honestly, the, the, the highs and lows of success in any profession, they come and go. Well, whoever your iconic artist is, everybody rides a roller coaster there. But it always fundamentally for me comes back to the experience of sitting in my room writing a song. It just, it's every time blows me away. And when it's not there, I just, I lose me.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like you have a good way of telling yourself to look at the real history, to look at the actual legacy of 20 so something years of writing instead of the story that you're making up in your head, which I think is a great. Tool for people to use. What else helps you when you feel like? Because for me, I feel like when I'm in it, I don't necessarily know when it's going to be over. But there comes a time when I'm feeling like it's starting to end. Right? It doesn't just yeah. suddenly end for me. What helps you to get to that place and to and to f- feel hopeful around the process again?
2: You know, there's a few things that pop up for me immediately when you say that. I have I have a journey around mental health, things like uh, depression and anxiety, and and such. And one of the things that my nearest and dearest, including you, will say if I'm in a dark chapter, in some form or another, we always say to each other, it will live. Just remember that part. It will live. I don't know how, I don't know when, but it will live. So I kind of remind myself that when it comes to writer's block. But I also, I'm getting in a better habit of learning to stop demonizing discomfort.
1: Ooh.
2: Too often, we treat discomfort like it's our enemy in areas that we hold precious, writing being one of them in a way that we don't do the same demonizing. Like you don't go to the gym, have a killer workout, wake up sore the next day and think, oh, no, it's not working. You think it is working.
1: Right. Oh, yeah. And similarly, like the gym, there's a difference between like a soreness from using that muscle versus like an injury. Those are different different feelings.
2: Exactly. And I, I think so. I think that the more I'm able to stop demonizing the discomfort of that moment, hey, I'm not writing, it's not working, it's not happening right now, the more I'm able to listen to it. There's a, uh, as you know, my most recent book was The Myth of Certainty and Other Great News. And it was really me trying to figure out how to embrace life, knowing that there wasn't ever going to be some lottery ticket arrival, after which everything was going to be okay. That that, that's not coming. It's not a real thing. So what does that look like? And there's two things that came up that have emerged for me as sort of anchor bits of wisdom since then and that is this notion from epictetus greek stoic philosopher which i'll the bumper sticker version of his wisdom is we're not disturbed by things but by the view we take of them it's not the thing itself but the view i'm taking of it okay well that's interesting so this discomfort this this fallow period i'm not traumatized by it because it's happening it's because of what i'm deciding about that's the story piece and the other is from a different philosopher from the 20th century jerry seinfeld um, <laughs> <laughs> and and he was on an episode of comedians in cars getting coffee he was talking with trevor Noah about pain like ouch pain and he said i've come to the conclusion that pain is knowledge rushing in to fill a gap hmm. stub your toe knowledge there's a table there and you're not paying attention to where you're going so when i take those two pieces of information and i go okay i'm really uncomfortable in this moment because i'm i'm not having that creative outlet that brings me such joy and and if i greet that and decide okay well, i'm is discomfort. That's a fact. It's discomfort. Yeah. Um, what do I do with it? Pain is knowledge rushing in to fill a gap. Okay, what is it telling me? And that's when I, speaking of the gym, sort of get to the gym, metaphorically speaking. Very often it's telling me that I'm not doing things to cultivate it. I've gotten you know you know Chuck Cannon, right?
1: Yeah. I did a workshop um, with him a long time ago. Oh, did you? Yeah. And, and,
2: you know, he used to sail with us a lot on, probably still does, on six-man cruises and has a number of big hits in the country music world and such. And on one of those cruises, I, I grabbed I grabbed Chuck and I, went, and I sailed with him a number of times, but I would never really talked with him. I was a little bit intimidated by him. And I, on the way out of the office there on ship, I, I went, hey, Chuck, let me grab a minute, if you don't mind. that You don't know this about me, but I'm actually a singer-songwriter. And I was curious, what do you do when it comes to writer's block? I'm not writing the way I li- at that point I was not writing well. And I was I was just really unsatisfied with what was coming out. And he's and he looked at me without hesitation and he said, He said, Don't believe in writer's block. There's no such thing as writer's block, just lazy writers. He was right. I have come to learn. It's a misinterpretation of what the discomfort is telling me. The discomfort is telling me it's time to shift into a different relationship. I read in a issue of the performing songwriter magazine many years ago a similar take guy saying well i don't believe in writer's block i believe that i have input periods and output periods
1: yeah exactly and and when
2: it's an output period it's incumbent upon me to listen carefully and set everything aside you know be ready to receive when when it wants to come out and when it's an input period it's incumbent upon me to to do the work which is turns out joyful because the work for me anyhow looks like reading things that inspire me, listening to things that inspire me, watching things that inspire me. I don't mean inspire me to write. I mean, just inspire me, that enchant me, that cause me to feel something, to creating quiet so that I become a better listener when ideas do arrive. And just there is an element of trust in that, in just showing up to the cultivation. But I think there's also an element of honoring, um, there's, for me, Elizabeth Gilbert talked in her TED talk about there's essentially you don't have to like that I feel this way, but there's some there's magic at foot in creativity, straight up magic, woo woo magic, up and about happening there. You know, however, Nashville wants to try to systematize it. There's an element of magic that's happening, and I think part of my responsibility, having been given what feels to me like a really sacred gift. Of being able to create, whether whether anybody else likes it or not, it's irrelevant. Somehow, I get to write song. That's freaking amazing. That blows my mind. And so, I, I love the notion that my job in this relationship is to prepare the way.
1: Yeah, um, and some, sometimes that preparation means, you know, remove the things that are distracting you from the time to write that you want to have because it is an output period. It's time to do it. Yeah. Or and sometimes it means, like you said, sit back. And listen stop beating yourself up about not writing because what you're supposed to be doing is listening so that you have something to say
2: yeah exactly In that period of listening it feels like my job is to just fill myself with quality like so to, 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 to deepen the colors that i have available to my brush so that when the muse strikes again I have new colors to offer um, if that makes sense yeah and,
1: I love that you're using a visual metaphor, because for me, when I'm needing some inspiration, one of the things I love to do is go to an art museum, because it's not my medium, you know, it's not my art form, but it's really inspiring, and and seeing a great film or going to listen to music that's not your genre of music can really sort of open things up, I think, you
2: know, absolutely. When, you're, when you're stuck. Absolutely. I. I, I... Couldn't agree more. I, you know, I also have a, have a daily practice. Is something I took from the uh, uh, New Thought author, Eckhart Tolle. I have a daily practice of just setting aside a few minutes to look, to just sit in a space and notice things. Same way you would in an art gallery, where you're just drinking in an image. Well, we're surrounded by art all the time fundamentally, and when I just take the time to notice the lines and things or to notice the way the light hits something, I am filling my brain with imagery. I'm filling my brain with perspective. And so much of, I think, what we do as artists, regardless of your medium, again, is that we are directing the emotional eye to something. We want you to notice an aspect of of something. I've, I've often said that I feel like part of my job as a songwriter is I'm essentially an emotional journalist, you know, taking careful notes on what it is to be human. And that involves noticing detail, colors, textures, emotions. Yeah. And and like you and I were talking about, one of the things that's been a huge blessing for me during this, during the pandemic, is how much of the songwriting world, how much the artistic world in general, like everything else, has moved online. And for me, for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is some... While I can, I love being on a stage, also wildly introverted and, uh, and inclined to being a hermit, the, the ability to connect with other artists online has been amazing. One of the groups that I've gotten involved with during this time is, as a result of a workshop that I saw, Bonnie Baker, a songwriter, an astonishing just human offer. She introduced us to this group called Thinking Outside the Blocks, which I, I pulled up their website before I got on the call because I wanted to spread the gospel of thinkingoutsidetheblocks.com.
1: Yeah, and we can put that in the show notes too for Great.
2: folks who might want to check it out. They're best and Ali are the two astonishing talents and professionals who've put that community together. And it's essentially a community of songwriters specifically, but I get exposed to that community. We do a lot of like writing to prompts and just continue to develop in our craft, studying different elements of the craft. These are all things you do when you're not writing or when you are. But but again, they're creating, they're telling the muse. I am here for this. I am not just here to keep writing the same song I wrote ten years ago.
1: And like they have they have time constraints too, right? Yeah, with, so yeah. So like
2: when we do for one of the consistent challenges, we we do classes every Saturday. We have prompts throughout the week and conversations throughout the week that go on. But once a month we do what they call a blockbuster challenge. The air quotes, but you can't see them. And and they'll give you on a Thursday, they give you a prompt and a restriction like like this past week or so ago we did The prompt was winning and losing, right? About something about that. And the restriction was something about using intervals, deciding on an interval you're going to use. And it was interesting because it was kind of like backing in, starting with the music and then backing into the lyrics. Doesn't matter. All all that's, I'm I'm getting, uh, going down the rabbit hole a little bit. But yes, we have a restriction. The idea is, here's your prompt Thursday afternoon. By the next Thursday, you need to submit to the group a fully recorded and written song. Go. It doesn't have to be good; it just has to be written. And what that's helped me to do is: a, it's gotten me exposed to a ton of different sounds. I'm just a folk singer. I write, a, I write songs on acoustic guitar, and I, i've I've never really branched out into production or or uh, rich arrangements or anything. I bring other people in for that. Yeah, you know, I think what I do is I, I do other things, as you know, with the speaking and other things that I do. I think that's where I get that itch scratched. But all those different sounds I get exposed to through the group, the restriction itself, it grows me all the time and expands my sense of what's possible. But here's the important thing that I've learned. It's made me so much less precious. Yeah. and And I didn't realize that my preciousness was getting in the way of my process.
1: Yeah, um, that was one of the big things I took from, I spent a little bit of time in Nashville years ago. And just do, doing these co-writing meetings where it's, you know, four people in a room trying to write a country song. And one of the things I really learned from them was, like, just know whether it's serving the song or not and let it go if it's not working. And it's okay. It doesn't, it's not the last idea you'll ever have.
2: <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. When I was touring full-time, I literally would, every time i drive through Nashville, would roll down the window and give it the middle finger. And I just, I just felt like it was like the evil empire. And then years later, I was blessed to be invited to a songwriting camp up there. Beth Nielsen Chapman, I should go ahead and just offer her name as By Way of Gratitude, who's a very talented hit writer. She wrote This Kiss for Faith Hill. Mm -hmm. And she invited me up to the songwriting camp after I wrote her a letter after Katrina. I'm back in New Orleans. And anyway, went up there, and she really encouraged me to get involved writing in Nashville. And I had this aha moment. I went, oh, right. I can learn to write in different ways. And it doesn't have to compromise what I do. It's just another tool I get in my tool set. But after that camp, I started going up there once a month. I'd spend a week up there. And like you're saying, take like three or four writing appointments a day. And, And that was so, again, healing in terms of going, oh, right. The way this works is you write songs. And that's how you become better at writing songs.
1: <laughs> what and, a concept.
2: Right. And the way you do that is, you, you know, in Nashville, anyway, you walk into a room, what do you got? I used to love the conversation we walk in. So what are we doing? Are we killing somebody? Are they falling in love? What are they doing? What's happening? You know, <laughs> right. again, all that helped me become less precious and brought me back to, or brings me back to one of the things that I love most about being able to do this craft. And that is, you know, you and I have both done, you still do, acting. We've both done other creative endeavors that work a little bit different than music. For me, the goal with music has always been, hey, if you really become wildly successful, yes, you get to perform and be on amazing stages and all that. But basically, you get to get to write for a living. You get to write songs for a living. And in our industry, the beauty of that is the way you get the opportunity to do that is by writing better songs. And the way you do that is by writing songs. <laughs> So so I get to do the thing that if I'm wildly successful is what I'm doing the thing to get to do.
1: (laughs) Right. You're already doing it. Like the measure of success is not the thing that determines whether you're a songwriter or not. It's that's right. Whether you're writing songs or not.
2: That's right. And that continues to be the thing that brings me the most joy. Now we'll say I remember Amy Ray for Interview Girls, she years ago in an interview was being asked about writer's block. And she was also sort of defying the notion of it and saying it becomes really important to let yourself write crappy songs because the crappy songs get you to the good songs. And I can tell you in this Thinking Outside the Blocks group, every month there are people that post songs that they're like, I really don't like this one. But and then everybody will be like, but that one line, circle back to that. That's a great song. you know." Or people will submit something that they're like, I didn't really get, I got like 30 seconds of a song. That's all I've got. Okay, great. That's something. You're continuing to tell the muse, I'm here for this. I'm here for this. So, I want it to be simpler than that. I want writer's block to be like, "Hey, I can just take a pill or flip a switch." But that's me demonizing discomfort. I think that writer's block ultimately is pointing me to where I'm ready to level up in some way, and happily, that kind of turns out to be a bit of a joyful process.
1: So it sounds like for you, like having accountability, external accountability, is a really helpful tool because you've got this group that you're. You've got to turn the thing in, which I think is great. I think that's something that's really helpful if people are stuck. It's just like find a friend and tell them what you're trying to do. Like yes. today, I want to write a chorus. And I'm telling you because if I only tell myself, I can ignore myself. Yes. <laughs> but I can't ignore my friend who I yes. said I would do this for. And also, I think having like time constraints is really helpful or any kind of constraint. I know when I used to write primarily poetry, for me, it was fun to play in form you know, and like mm-hmm. choose, choose a form for a poem. You could do that with a song too, of course, and just be like, okay, I'm only going to write this certain rhyme scheme and it can kind of get the juices flowing that way. These are all tools,
2: right? Yeah. I mean, they're all, they're all tools that help us. What, I, what I'm learning is at this point in my life, I turned 15 a few months. At this point in my life, I'm returning to what mattered to me when I started doing this when I was 20. And that is, I, I'm obsessed with this craft. I think it's, it's miraculous. It changes. I have songs that have saved my life, you know, in no uncertain terms. And so for me, I want to just keep growing. I want to keep learning. And when I hit those fallow periods, which let's make no mistake, they suck. When, when you're there, it's, it's an awful feeling, but it, it seems to direct me to, Hey, how do I keep learning? And, you know, and, and just kind of running through quick tips that really are useful to me. I somebody in Nashville years ago said, here's what I need you to do. I want you to get up every day and I want you to set a timer for five minutes. And I want you to write at least four stanzas in that five minutes. And I don't need it to be good. I just need it to be done. And that's one of those things that when I catch myself, hey, i I'm not writing right now. When was the last time you did that? Oh, I haven't been doing that at all. It's five minutes. I can do five minutes. And when I do it, directs my thinking... <laughs> Just the copywriter me it directs my thinking to what I wish I was inking, you know. It's it's it directs my thinking to <laughs> to, to to how to think like a songwriter and <clears throat> see like a songwriter. Books do that too. Reading the right reading books on creativity do that for me. Listening to podcasts on creativity, like this one, and remembering that it's not a glitch; it's a feature of the process of living a life as a creative helps me to feel. Like it's like, it's actually kind of a sign of a membership card. I mean, I stepped into copywriting during the pandemic. And one of the things I say to my accountability partners in that group is I say, I love how often we'll show up and be like, so how's your work on that thing going that you're working on? How's it going? And one of us will be like, you know, it's, it's going, it's such a mess right now. It's like (laughs) chaos, which means it's probably about to come together.
1: Mm, Yeah.
2: You you start to recognize this is part of process and not a, not a glitch in it. I saw Paul Simon speak years ago at Emory, Emory University in Atlanta. He was invited there to be, it was the first time they invited a songwriter for a particular artisan in residence program thing they were doing. I don't know what it's called, but it doesn't matter. I remember sitting there in the congregation, I say it that way because we were in a church, but for me, it felt like church. I mean, it's Paul Simon. And, <laughs> and he said, he was asked about what he's working on. And he said something like he hadn't written a song in seven years or something. And that simultaneously was deeply affirming and made me want to run from the building screaming. Right. Like it doesn't get better. (laughs) Right. What are you talking about? That's Don't tell me that. (laughs) You've written like, you know, half of the modern American songbook. But, you know, it's just it's part of the process.
1: Yeah. And it's always part of the process. It's not a thing that gets cured in the sense that, like, you mature out of it or you become good enough that it doesn't happen to you. It happens to even Paul Simon, for God's sake.
2: Yeah. Part of the process is so critical. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make a distinction in my mind that I'm not sure how to make. It's not, it's, it's not about, for me, on a daily basis, it's not about embracing it like, oh, this is part of the process. And so I tolerate it. It's really celebrating it as part of the process. Somehow coming to a place of going, this is a gift I'm being offered right now that I'm not writing. Well, let me put it this way. One of the things that's helped me, and you've been a, a model to me in, in this regard, You're very, you've been very good at navigating the business side of being a creative in many ways. And I think for me over the years, I spent way too many years demonizing the business side. But, but the business isn't antithetical to what I love about the craft. The business supports the art, supports the business, supports the art. It's it's what allows me to do it in the same way that my dry periods support my growth, which supports my fertile periods, which supports my growth.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And,
2: and again, none of this is easy. It's all always say in my social media post. I'm always like, you know, whenever people share, particularly on social media, are always sharing answers. Like it's just now that now you've got it. No, it, that's it takes it's it's practice. It's practice. There's a reason that there are monks in monasteries and they're doing and they're meditating all the time. And they, it takes practice. All these things take practice. Yeah, everything, absolutely. Everything you're good at takes practice. And usually, when I hit a fallow period, I'm not practicing in some way.
1: So I want to end with something a little unusual. Like normally, I would ask people, like, what's a tip that you want to leave. Artists with, but because I have you here and I happen to know that you had a project that's been going on for a long time where you write inspirational messages on the back of your van and drive around town and people get to see them and photograph them. And you've done it for my car when I went on tour, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. It was so great. So if you had a hindsight, if you had something that you would leave on the rear window of our listener's car, and that listener is a person who hasn't written anything in a while and is really hoping they'll be able to do that again. What do you think that might say? That's nice.
2: Well, may I frame what the hindsights are real quick?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Short version of long story. Back in two thousand nine, my my beloved New Orleans Saints went to the Super Bowl and hell froze over. And uh, and when I went to New Orleans to to be there to celebrate the game and watch the watch the game there with friends, I wrote on the back of my car like, you know who that all that kind of stuff. And the you know, honk of your Saints fan. And and the response was so fun that when I got back, I, I decided to throw up like a motivational quote there that I just thought was cool. And, I, and I'm saying wrote like pens that people use for just married or graduation or whatever, it's a paint pen, a window marker. And I write that on the back of my windshield. And I started doing that with motivational quotes. And again, the response that I received from people not like how cool you are, but the response to people coming up and being like, gosh, that really means a lot to me. Thank you. I needed that today. It was really powerful. And then I started to notice how it was changing my perspective. Because I would see it in my rear view mirror and it would surprise me. And, and so I then started to use it intentionally. And I would essentially, more or less a weekly basis, I still do, coach myself going, what is the one thing if somebody said to me right now, Came up to me randomly on the street and said blank, and it would be exactly the words that I need to hear in this moment. What would that be? And that changes because I'm constantly trying to change or practice again a new perspective, change a thought, change, shift my perspective on something, and allow myself to live as a result of different experience. So that's where the hindsights come from. They're never, they're very rarely, anyway, about something that I'm trying to put up that's clever. They're almost always about something I'm trying to. I'm trying to shift. Yeah, And so in this, in the context of what we're talking about here, a hindsight that I would offer returning to your question, somebody that that's dealing with writer's block, that's dealing with these kind of things. My first reaction when you said that was, was this, so I'll go with it. my first reaction was to say, it's working.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Keep, keep going. Keep growing. It's, it's working.
1: That's it. This, I love this it.
2: is, this is, this is, this is, this is what it looks like to be a creative. How cool is that? The fact that you're churned up because you're not writing means that you know you can write. How cool is that? The fact that you wish you're writing something better means you know there's something better. How cool is that? It's working. Just Just keep growing.
1: It's working. I love it. Thank you so much, <laughs> Brian. This has been an awesome conversation. And I know that Me our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. And where can people find you if they want to find you on the internet?
2: so uh, i am on yesbrianperry.com as in the opposite of no dot y.com and at yesbrianperry on instagram facebook and linkedin
1: all right and i, I hope am. people will find you and i look yeah. forward to hearing what's next in and your I'm, world and, it's always something exciting
2: and thank you julia i mean this has been really a treat to to have this conversation and and to to talk with our creative tribe we are a beautiful, growing, striving, challenged, dysfunctional, highly functioning poetic artistic family. <laughs> and I'm grateful to be part of it. so
0: Established in 2017, Artist Soapbox is a podcast production studio based in North Carolina. Artist Soapbox produces original scripted audio fiction and an ongoing interview podcast about the creative process. We cultivate aspiring audio dramatists and producers, and we partner with organizations and individuals to create new audio content. For more information and ways to support our work, check out artistsoapbox.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. The Artist Soapbox theme song is Ashes by Juliana Finch.